You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead and pull up a chair. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to the Afterlife. This is a first. I'm uh, I, this is on location. I made this mobile. We are actually at an undisclosed location, which is uh, the home of Jeremy Piven. Hey Jeremy, how you doing, man? Good man. Finally, we do this. Finally, I'm so glad you're doing. You know, I've been chasing you for so long, <laughs> yeah, right. bro. Yeah. Every day, just <laughs> Bill, can we do the podcast? And you're like, no, man. I just don't have the time. I, he, and I think, but thank you. I want to thank you for doing this, oh man. He's, He's obviously being sarcastic. I've been bugging. I think the first moment I met you at the Laugh Factory, before I even said my name, was, "Hey, can you do my podcast?" No, you, you know, stumbled you? and just said podcast. That's all. That's all I remember. <laughs> no, I remember seeing you at the Laugh Factory at the yeah the at Long Beach Laugh Factory. Long Beach was first, and time you now. were getting really physical. And I just started doing comedy. Yeah, I remember looking at you, going, "Man, that's really funny and cool." And it was inspiring to me on many levels because it was really funny, but also you were getting physical. And because I'm a physical comedic actor. Uh, it just kind of inspired me to think, well, maybe I can do this. And yeah. of course I can't, but I was yeah. inspired to do it. Now, at that point in the Long Beach, how long have you been doing stand-up? Uh, a couple, a few months. So I was yeah. a cagey veteran, obviously, Yeah. of three months of, of grinding. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if you were to look at me on paper, you know, it's a disaster. And, and I've talked to a lot of comics and, you know, I get that. There's a huge stigma behind not having logged, you know, many, many years of stand up. I get that. I really do. Yeah. I guess the equivalent would be because you're also a theater actor, and we'll get to that, but it's sort of like when I was in New York doing theater and I was up for a Broadway show or an off Broadway show, for example, you're thinking off Broadway, that's like the blue collar. You're making 450 a week or whatever the fuck it is. And then they bring in someone from Vampire Diaries to play the part who just happens to have a hiatus. And you're like, well, is this the person who should be rewarded with a great theater role, a guy who's kind of like, well, I have nothing else to do for the next two months? Well, listen, it's a business, and we all understand that. I remember hearing about this NBA basketball player that had played longer, Parrish, had played longer at center for the Celtics, longer than any other player in the game, and he had an impeccable reputation. And they said, like, how are you able to do it, man? Everyone said you're so great to work with. And you never complained. You know, you're 7'2 and your yeah. feet hurt. And he goes, oh, man, I'd love to complain. But no one cares. Oh, wow. So he just never did. And we all love to complain and bitch and moan. And it's a business. And none of yeah. it makes any sense. And if we're looking for logic, we're in the wrong arena. Yeah. You know. Because, you know, there, there, there are guys, people that excel, and it may not make any sense to us, but we just got to keep doing our thing and working hard and trying to evolve, and that's yeah. all we can do. Yeah, and I think that, like, because, I mean, obviously, we, we have very different careers, needless to say, but, like, I was, like, a New York theater guy, and when I started doing, and I was on soap operas, when I started doing stand-up, there was, right away, the stigma was like, well, he's an actor doing stand-up. And his stand-up is an actor doing stand-up. That was the thing. And I would hear it kind of rumblings and people would just kind of like, 
or you know, here's a big phrase: Is he in it for the right reasons? Now, I don't know right. what the fuck that means. Because are you in it for like <laughs> ma- like altruism and integrity? Is that why everyone's doing? No, of course not. So I think that, uh, and this part is I want to talk to you because it's it's very rare that someone with your status and stature and experience transitions to uh, to comedy, and let's say is. Late forties, maybe or something like that. So uh, late twenties, whatever. 20s, it's all good, 30s, bro. Yeah. So um, that transition for you, like, what was what was the moment? Because I know you talked about this other thing. We talked about personally, but I want to hear about the moment where you kind of it clicked for you, and you're like, "This is something that I think I can do." Um. Well, first of all, I'm very delusional, and <laughs> um, and it's it really works in my favor. Yeah. Because. I've been on stage since I was eight years old and grew up in a theater family and been doing it my whole life and love it and come from a theater community where we're, we all just are in it together and you have tons of rehearsals and you write each other notes before you open. And, you know, it's exactly like the stand-up community. Oh, wait, no. No. Um, <laughs> no, so that's, you know, that's my background. And I was lucky enough to do sketch comedy and I'm from Second City. And oh, I didn't know been, you did Second City. Yeah. How long so, did you do that for? Well, it was my first job out of college and did it for years. Wow. And, you know, then started my own theater company with Cusack called The New Criminals and, uh, you know, a bunch of movies, TVs, blah, 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 fast forward. But, you know, what's interesting is with stand-up, because of my background as an improvisational actor and a sketch comedy actor, um, it's, it's the same engine, different gear. And so for me, the moment, to answer your question, the moment it clicked was... I was doing some charity at the Laugh Factory with with Russell Peters, and they said host with him. And I'm the thing that I am kind of smart about is I know my limitations, yeah. and I know that he's a killer. And one of the things he does best is crowd work. Mm-hmm. And I have no crowd work experience, and I've no I had no stand up experience. So I was like, okay, well I'm being set up. It's going to be great, and, the, and well, fun, well, you, and we'll you raise money. You're being set up. <laughs> no, no, no. What I'm saying is, I'm being set up for disaster. Yeah. Not, not intentionally yeah. by them. No, they. It was, you know, all in good fun. Um, but I, you know, I live in fear of mediocrity, and I just didn't feel like bombing in public. Yeah, it wasn't right for me. So I immediately thought, okay, Russell crushes. He's a killer. He's and he was before you. No, no, he would be hosting the evening with me. Got it. Okay. So I just know he knows how to work that crowd. And so what I did was I just went, okay, I just got to write some jokes and just have stuff in my back pocket. Because even though I'm an improviser, crowd work is something totally different. Oh, yeah. And um, so I just wrote some jokes and we're up there together. And it was terrifying because I'm used to a big stage. And the first thing I noticed, because my first time doing stand up, the first thing I had the laugh factor. Laugh factor. And the first thing I noticed was the stage is so small, I feel hemmed in and caged. And I'm panicking because when you're on stage as an actor, there's all this room to move and you're making crosses. and, And I was just, you're in it. Yeah. You know? And so that was terrifying. And. You know, I wasn't alone because Russell's with me, but he's just going in on the crowd and crushing it. And even though I'm improvisational and have decades of of, of a reference for the stage, it's a totally different totally piece. Different. Now, are you on stage with him at the same time? At the same time. Oh, wow. And he's including me that's in a the- small stage for two people. Tiny. Yeah. And there are toys on stage with us because toys for tots. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, so there was no room. And so I just went... And he threw it to me in an awkward moment after he had just slayed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he has no fear. Yeah. And, you know, he wanted me to transition into something. And I just went, let me just try this joke. And I kind of tried it. 
And it got a laugh, and I'm sure you remember the first time that happened for you. And I just got hooked. I was like, wait a what minute. What was the joke? I don't remember at this moment, but I'll maybe loop back around. Um, the joke was something, let me see. I remember my first instinct was get up there and be very self-deprecating. It's for kids. Okay. Okay. Do a bit about um, Make-A-Wish kids and that some kid's last wish was to not see me and he wanted to not see me and I showed up anyway and just you know be self-deprecating and fun and have it be appropriate to the night yeah and I got some laughs and I was like this is it's so it was so addictive of course I was like wait a minute so you can be alone because when I'm improvising in in a film and tv there's no audience and there's Mm -hmm. no feedback and and I'm always rewriting and trying to get my work in. So, you know, yes, I'm new to stand up, but at the same time, I've been writing either on my feet as a improvisational actor, sketch comic guy, or as an actor that's 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 finessing his dialogue and rewriting. So I'm kind of like all roads lead to stand up in a way for me, yeah. which is fun. Now, did you have that joke sort of locked and loaded, or did it just come to you on the stage at the time? I had it locked and loaded. I had some jokes locked and loaded. And my point is. Because I did and they worked, it was just inspiring to me. Like, you, you need to, you need to get after this. Yeah, because it's really fun, and it's, you know, I've been lucky enough to do all different forms of performing and stand up as the last one that I haven't tried and the most terrifying, obviously. Yeah, and so I just had to throw myself into it, and I knew if I didn't hit the road every single week, yeah, and get five shows in a weekend and then do shows locally every week and get up at the dime and, and bomb mm-hmm. and grind in, in, you know, these tiny little places. I'm never going to be, it's never going to be good. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how much, even though I had decades of, of experience on stage as an actor, it, you, you know, I had to work my ass off and will continue to. Yeah. I feel like you're one of the few, the handful of people, I don't know, I don't want to maybe say in the world, but probably who has done Broadway regional theater, uh, TV, film, and stand-up, right? The, and they're all sort of different beasts in different ways. So I don't know if you can really speak to like what the difference is between like what sets. I imagine that like, when you're on Entourage, and first of all, bef- before I get too dick sucky here, like I've seen a lot of your work and it's amazing that you have been able to create, and you talk about this in your act, you'd be able to create a meal out of a snack. Like, I remember you in Rush Hour 2. I remember how great you were and how you totally stole that scene. And it was a cameo. I mean, it was originally just a cameo. It wasn't even a cameo. My only line was, may I help you? And <laughs> literally, it, if you were to look up that script and, you know, it's your job as an actor, the only way you eat um, is to, like I said, I'm delusional. I would play every character like I'm the lead in the movie. So even though my line is, may I help you? I'm the lead. Okay. Who is this person? You know, what's their backstory? Who are these people who, who are, you know, who are the people in the scene to you? What are your fears? All this kind of, stuff. and then just start writing out monologues. And then on the day, you know, maybe the, it's going to be a little awkward and they're like, what is this guy doing? Yeah. Why is he just, you know, improvising an entire monologue. And then when they're in the editing room, if they need it or if it works, then you've suddenly taken your one little moment yeah. and you've explored and heightened it into like a nice little role. And 
I did 40 movies like that wow. before Entourage. And then I won the Fresh Face of the Year Award at 37. And when I was accepting my award, I said, there's nothing fresh about my face, <laughs> but thank you. Um, and I was a 37-year-old overnight success. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, you never know, you know, when yeah. you're, you're, you have to create your own shots and no role should be beneath you. And, and for me, I would just get on a set. It's like tiny role, but you get to be with Morgan Freeman or, yeah. you know, uh, any of Dustin Hoffman or any of my De Niro, Pacino, any of these guys that I've worked with, just like get on set with them. Yeah. Even if it's a tiny role and just be a part of it. But I think there's a lot of actors who have that same philosophy of like, hey, I've got to make something of this. And the directors are like, what the fuck are you doing? It's not about. So yeah. you obviously have enough charisma and skill that you're able to do it in a way that is palatable and the directors go oh this guy's got something because all your well, training I'm guessing. in that particular case um the director kind of knew that i was an improvisational actor and he hired me had you worked with him before yeah i had done the family man with nick cage with him and stuff so yeah i had some history but yeah it's there's going to be some awkward moments where they're like why is this day player chewing up the scenery um, and you have to take that risk. How do you finesse you know? it? The first take, or do you wait for like, hey, can I do? No, no, take? no, no. You wait till they're completely they happy stuff with the scene as and then written. You request, hey, can I try something? Yeah, there's so many different ways to do it. Believe me, um, and I've tried every single one of them. <laughs> Calling them beforehand, you know. Um, oh yeah. You know, pulling them aside before the scene, whatever. You know, every time is completely different, and that's one of the things that led me to stand up. It's like. Be careful what you wish for. Like I've been whispering in, in in directors' ears and writers and and begging and pleading to kind of finesse the dialogue and open it up. And then you know there is no more freedom than stand up. Yeah. You know. So you know it's daunting, it's overwhelming, and it's so great, and it's all you, and you live or die by you know your thoughts and and you're directing yourself, and that's what's kind of so fascinating and amazing about it. To make a dumb sports analogy, it's the MMA of, of performance because you have to be ready for anything. And then you're listening to your sets and you're directing yourself. Yeah. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, to tighten that up. Wow, you punch that here. And then, so you're directing yourself and then you're writing and you're, you know, you're, you're a one-man band and it's really, really freeing and fun and as i said daunting and it's an honor and i you know i'm going to be going right from here to down to the um, laugh factory to, laugh, to get yeah. back on stage and just basically doing it every night now do you feel that part of the reason and i've talked about this on the podcast before part of the reason i got in stand because i was doing a lot of off-broadway shows and i was always getting annoyed that because you went to you went to tish right undergrad yeah but you didn't finish because you started working like an adult like <laughs> people should be yeah um, i went to the grad program there and oh. we were always taught that uh, the playwright has divinely shat their words from the asshole of Krishna onto your page and you lowly actors get to catch these words. And yes. Like, you know, David Mamet, and I yes. know you did Speed the Plow on Broadway, his yeah. whole thing, his book, True and False, is these are the words, say my fucking words, yeah. get over yourself. Well, yeah, you know, first of all, Mamet, uh, I, I grew up in Chicago and-, and, and He was a legend. We total legend. 
and my father w- w- um, was working with Mammon. I was oh, just wow. a tiny kid, just watching these guys. And my father actually hired David as a as an actor. And he, you know, he's one of the great American playwrights. So you're lucky to do those words. Yeah. And David came up. You can read about it in writing in restaurants or any of his stuff. But he would play some microphone in delis and whatnot, and listen to the oh, cadence wow. of people, how they step on each other's lines, and don't finish sentences. So his stuff is like music, and you don't want to mess mm, with it. Yeah. And he is a genius. Um, but then there are dialogue where you look at and go, oh my God, okay, wow, okay. I mean, I've had dialogue where the character is, you know, it's a laugh line, but I don't, I don't know how to make it work. Yes. So you have to find a character tick like, okay, this, this line may not be funny. Or maybe it's funny to some, but not to me. I don't get it. It just feels cruel. Yeah. Okay, but maybe to some who are just cruel. Um, it's funny. But how do I make this funny? Okay, I know. I'll play the character like he thinks he's really funny, and we know those guys. Yes. You know, the type A guys that take up all the energy, the ones I've been mistaken for, because <laughs> I play them authentically sometimes. Um, so you play this character as if he thinks he's really funny, he's going to hit you with the zinger, laughs at his own line, yeah. and it's not even funny. And suddenly you're laughing at this ridiculous human being because he just said something really cruel that he thinks is funny and it's not. And he's kind of strange and pathetic, and we all know this guy. So there's so many different ways to finesse the situation. But now with stand-up, you know, it's just, it's just incredible. And I made a breakthrough the other night yeah. um, because I was... You know, you know me. I, 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 I'm, I'm overthinking things as a stand-up, and I maybe I'm trying too hard or something. I don't know. But I always want to be prepared and work on my stuff. Yeah, and, you have. I've seen you have like basically you, you've scripted out your set sometimes, which I think is as a theater actor, I've done that too a lot. And and just you know, just trying to just trying to evolve and make it funnier and better. And and you know, there's it's a sound not to sound pretentious, but like. I grew up, you have to respect the space you occupy when you yeah. perform, you know, um, you're lucky to be up there. And so I just want to get better every single time. And this particular night, it was like the other night, um, and I was watching the UFC fight. Yeah. My boy, Dominic Reyes, um, had a great showing and was just, you know, we were all, you were with me. Yeah. We were all together. Yeah, what yeah. am I saying? And so proud of him. And, uh, and I... I try not to be that distracted before I get on stage and I just ran up and just ran up on stage and I felt so guilty that I wasn't prepared wow, interesting. that I overcompensated with energy. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I totally get that. I don't, is that my phone? Is that your phone? I think it is your phone. Um, that's the great thing about doing podcasts. Yeah, because as I say on stage, my phone has been on silent for 30 years and it really, <laughs> by the way, it really has because I'm afraid right. to ruin a take. Yeah. Um, um, so I jumped up on stage and you like pulled into the lot. Yeah. You just, ran in. You've probably done it a million times. Yeah. It just, it's my nightmare. And I ran up on stage and I just, I, 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 I just went into energy that I've tapped into as an actor uh-huh. in terms of just being fully emotionally committed present improvisational and all this craziness and just put it into my act and it it worked like gangbusters yeah now you know is it too much i don't know probably i I was over the top 
I was I was sweating like a Hebrew slave, you know what I mean, and just digging in, yeah. you know. Um, but they loved you. It, it, it went well, and, and we were all having a great time. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Now, is that the way to go? I don't know. But um, I'm just learning. I'm just learning every time, and I record it and listen to it and go, you know, what, what works, what can, I, what can I improve? But in that particular case, because I know, you know, we work together on the road, and I... I fully haven't gotten to that place where I know I need to be where um I'm where you're you're up there and you're fearless yeah. and you're riding on your feet and you're totally present they throw something out you can bounce with it um you can explore and heighten or go off on something that is said or or that you're thinking in that moment and get back to the set at any moment yeah and um that's the space I entered into. Maybe it was a one-time thing, and I just got lucky, but I definitely hit a zone. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's because I got out of my own way and just kind of let my hands go. I don't know, but it was um, it was really fun. Yeah. And did you feel in that moment, did you feel kind of vulnerable occupying that space? Was it kind of like, do you think people were responding to the fact that you were kind of like, I just fucking rolled up on stage. Here I am, folks. That was definitely the energy. Um, yeah. Definitely, uh, you know, the audience, they're highly in tuned and they can see if you're in fear, uh-huh. um, if you're hesitant, um, or if you're up there and you're present and you're having a great time and you're vulnerable and truthful and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know, I just, something happened. You know, there's that great story about Olivier where he, you know, crushed this performance and he runs backstage and locks the door and everyone's banging on the door and they're like, you know, come on out. What's wrong? And he's screaming, no, I'm not coming out. And he's <laughs> losing his mind. I'm never coming out. What is, what's wrong with you? That was the best performance we've ever seen. He goes, I know. And they go, what's the problem? He goes, I have no idea what I did. Wow. So, you know, you, you gotta be okay with that. And yeah. we're chasing this, this elusive thing i sound so pretentious right now no, 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 i want to no. punch myself in the face but no this you know this elusive thing where like you know you work so hard that you can throw it all away and be totally present and just mm-hmm. see if you could possibly get in the zone yeah exactly i think that we were talking about this other night during the ufc fight i was talking about how one time i went on stage stoned because they they need a replacement i was a little bit stoned and in that same night of the ufc fight they, hey, we someone just dropped out. Can you be here in like five minutes? Right. So I just drove down there, and um, and there's something about that that and like I said, we talked about. I was like, I'm a theater actor. My mouth was, <laughs> my diction was all fucking off. Um, but I do think there's something about the idea when you go up on stage and you say, I'm just here and I don't know what the fuck is going on and I'm vulnerable. That sometimes that lets people go, oh, okay, we, we'll support you. As you right. figure out Absolutely. how stoned you are or how drunk you are right. or whatever it is. Yes. And of course, it can backfire. So you never know what the, what the magic elixir is. But um, I do think it's going to be interesting for you as you go forward. Because have you done a show yet where you've just done nothing but crowd work? Where you're like, you know what? Ne- never. Does never, that, ever, does ever. Does that scare you? <laughs> it scares the hell out of me. <laughs> so you got to do it. Yeah. I yeah, think I you, do. I mean, you, you could do... I don't know if you could headline a full crowd work show, but you could do a, a set the laugh factor of 15, 20 minutes where you just did crowd work, just ask people questions about themselves. Or do you feel like that's like you want to, uh, do you feel like that robs people of the entertainment? Cause no, a lot of people are coming to see you for sure. 
but they're going to see me bombing, which <laughs> which would probably be fantastic for them. Have you bombed terribly yet? Uh, yes. I hope for so. Sure. Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Um, at the dime. Yes, but that doesn't count. But okay, it counts. I guess because it's like four other comics who are, who are all Bubba. Sick. Stop it, crazy boy. Sorry, my His adorable French bulldog. French bulldog who I give my entire life to, and all he does <laughs> is rolls. He rolls his eyes and walks around me. <laughs> Kurt Fox is over here, another comic, and he goes, "I think you're trying too hard with your dog." I don't know why he sounds like Owen oh, Wilson. <laughs> I don't know why he became Owen Wilson in that moment. But he literally said, "He goes, you're trying too hard with your dog, man. You got to play hard to get." I'm like with my dog, even in LA, you got to play hard to get with your dog. Uh, so I have been doing that with Bubba a little bit, but um, he just knows that I love him and will give him anything. Yeah. And so he's got me. You know, yeah. I just want to service him in any way possible. Yeah. I want to give him the world. I feel like an Instagram model trying to approach Leo. <laughs> you know, at a million o'clock at a party. Um, we're not actually documenting this. Oh, we are. Oh, Sorry. Wait, it's recording. So. Um, yeah, so I want to get back to the bomb because so the dime is a bar. It's a bar show, and if people don't know what a bar show is, it's not a comedy club. It's obviously not a theater. It is a literal bar where people go to drink, and someone will throw up a mic stand and have people come. And a lot of times, people are there who don't even know a comedy show is about to erupt, you know. And the other people there are just you're, hold on. You're making it seem like there are a lot of people there. Let's be honest. What this is, this is what it is. You get up on an apple crate with a pin spot hitting you in the eyes. You're blinded. Yeah. You can't see a thing. Yeah. Okay. So now one of your senses has been taken away. Yeah. Right. And there are a couple people that are there to see the DJ. The, they're not there to see a comic. There's no feng shui in the room. And by the way, I love it. It's heavy lifting, and I'm honored to be there. And Adam yeah. Hunter is miraculous because he kills every set. Yeah. And and it's just amazing. Um, few comics in the back with their arms folded, and they want to know why I'm taking up their time. And, you know, it's just really difficult. Yeah. I got up there my first time. I'll never forget it. And uh, I said, you guys are probably- So this is your first time at the dime? Yeah. I said, you guys are probably wondering what I'm doing here. And some dude goes, yeah, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> Silence, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's hostile! It's actually hostile." And you never responded to that. That's well, I said, "This is the happiest place on earth," <laughs> you know. And um, you know, I was bombing so badly that I started saying things like, "You know, I wonder if I've ever been funny, like ever in my life." <laughs> yeah, you start like, "I want to crawl back into the womb." That's how badly <laughs> I'm doing right now. Like, I just started to admitting to how badly I was doing, and then I started getting some some chuckles. Yeah, yeah, I think that is something that happens a lot of times. And there's so many theories about why you, should, why you shouldn't do this, why you should do this. But sometimes, like, the inner dialogue becomes an <laughs> audience's way into your, your head, you know? Like, I sometimes I'll do a joke. I forget what I did. I did some, some joke where I, oh, it was just this really stupid joke that was in my head. Oh, oh, it was talking about how, it was talking about marriage and how, gays republicans say well if, if men can marry men then you can marry your dog i'm like hey you can marry your dog that'd be the only wedding i'd want to go to that'd be a that wedding be hilarious like just a, a frenchy flower girl and everyone dry humping on the dance floor uh and uh and, and the joke i say a friend of mine which is true said mm, that joke's offensive because dogs can't give consent and so i said i guess that's true but i mean i guess rough means rough and it was totally flatlined, right? Mm -hmm. So I just have to go, that's so stupid, and smile at the vulnerability of saying the dumbest thing out of my mouth, and then they laugh. 
I mean, there are a lot of comics who've made their whole careers based on the afterthought of their joke. Like wow. Jim Gaffigan was one of them. You okay. know, Jim Gaffigan, when he started, people forget this about a lot of these comics like Jim Gaffigan, who I think is one of the funniest. He's amazing. Ever. Amazing. But his voice where he does that, yeah. that was based on the fact that the first four to five years of him doing stand-up, uh-huh. he just bombed. Wow. And so he would say a joke and no one would laugh. He'd go like, that guy, it's weird. And then he would get laughs from that. And it became wow, like a that's character. that's so cool. And then, I had no idea. Yeah. And then Lewis Black, his whole thing where he gets all angry. Yeah. Again, it was sort of like we hear about Larry David is he would go up there. He has a very odd sense of humor and he would bomb miserably in these tough New York crowds. And he would just go, you motherfuckers don't know what's funny. And when he would get mad at them, it would get laughs. And that became his character. And Jessica Kirsten has a thing where she talks about like, Oh my gosh, like her, her inner like therapist. So I think that's a, some comments like you shouldn't comment on your own material, but why the fuck not? Like there's no fourth wall in comedy. Yeah, man, I, it, it's so interesting what you're saying because I never knew that backstory. But it, 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 what you're saying is in both cases, it came out of something that was very real and very vulnerable, and the audience responded to it. Yeah. So that's cool, and I totally get that, and it makes sense. Yeah, and you're used to, you're used to doing jokes that work or they don't work, and if they don't work, you just kind of on to, on to the on to the next, right? Right. Yeah, me too. So I did want to. Um, uh, talk a little bit about your backstory too, because I know a lot of people. I don't know that much. I know you're from Chicago, and like you said, you're a theater family. So you grew up uh, director, writer, parents. Yeah, they they kind of did it all. Um, they they started a a company back. They met at the University of Chicago. This is the part where people just literally fall asleep. <laughs> my parents my, my parents met at the University of Chicago and they were in a theater company with Mike Nichols and Elaine May and Ed Asner and all wow. that. And um, they basically kind of had this theater company that eventually became Second City that we all know. Oh, their theater company became yeah, Second City? Yeah, oh, wow, and I it's um, playwrights. And, you know, my mom was dating Mike Nichols when she met my, my dad. Um, which is kind of very surreal and incredible. And, you know, Nichols and May were this incredible comedy duo. And and there's a lot of great history there. And I would, I would spend the entire day with my mama today. And I'll, I'll try jokes on her. And she's amazing because she's just so honest. You know, she'll just, she still, is she still like totally with it? And she gets it and she her mind is like firing the same way it was. Yeah, like, but she's brutally honest. Like she'll just look at me and go, I don't get it. Yeah. You know, I don't get that joke. And I'd be like, thank you. Thank you, mom. Or, or she does get it, you know, and can you tell and, me a joke that you said to your mom where she's like, uh, I said to her, I go today, I go, I, mama, I, I, I keep getting it wrong with these people that are transitioning, you know, and I keep getting their gender wrong and they're furious at me and it's weird. And I, I wish that they would have like, you know, like when they have a, when, a, a gender reveal party for babies, they, if they could have a gender reveal party and, you know, every day so they could show us what gender they are so we don't fuck it up. Yeah. And maybe they could have like a pinata on their head and I could smash the pinata and a huge cock falls out <laughs> and I go, oh my God, you're a dude. Of course you're a dude. And she just looked at me and goes, I don't get it. Oh, wow. So, but also I shouldn't be trying jokes on my mom. It's just too weird. What? <laughs> But, and this is one of my favorite parts of your act, you, when you were Ari Gold <laughs> yeah. on Entourage, yeah. you would say all your lines as Ari Gold to your mom, right. which is hilarious because he said some incredibly offensive stuff. And, and, and to my mom's credit, she never flinched because she's seen it all, said it all. I mean, you know, my mom's been an artist and an actress, director, teacher her entire life. And so I, I know that I, 
anything my character would say, she wouldn't be offended because she understands the context. Yeah. This is a fictional character and I'm going to throw everything I have into it. And, you know, I, and, and this is, this is a much longer conversation and it's not me. Uh, this is not me complaining. This is just relaying my reality because I played the character authentically. And that is our job Yeah, is to play it as authentically as possible, not judge it. Do I have the same ideology as Ari Gold? No. Uh, I'm just a stage actor from Chicago. Ari Gold is all about the money. And, you know, he's a businessman and that's his life. And we are the antithesis of each other. Yeah. Um, and he's based on Ari Emanuel and Ari Emanuel is a brilliant. Did you get br- to meet Ari Emanuel? Oh yeah. He was my agent and I, of course. Wow. Oh yeah. So it's really closely based on him as a person. Correct. For personal experience. And he is a, a brilliant businessman you know he is a a part of so many incredible business ventures obviously william morris endeavor and his new img bought uh the ufc and you know he's just an incredibly prolific businessman and so i'm playing this character no matter what i would say or what would come out of my mouth my mom would just take it in and not flinch and so i talk about that on stage saying the most offensive stuff and then she would take a beat and then give me a note not even for a moment <laughs> you know the character was an equal opportunity of uh, you know saying homophobic crazy crazy stuff and my mom is the most liberal you know woman on the planet yeah you know my if you looked at any one of our classrooms you know it was the most eclectic group of kids from all across i was the only white boy on my football team in my school and you know every color of background you could possibly see everyone was on scholarship this is before it was fashionable before you know you could take a victory lap on social media for doing it this is just because they love doing it because they believe everyone deserves a shot and all you had to do with my parents was say i need a scholarship and they would give it to you there were no questions asked. everyone's no i mean that's just the way the piven theater is um and you know then you play a character like ari gold and then you're mistaken for this guy sure and i you know and that was an interesting journey i didn't expect I didn't see it coming at all. She did. She said, you got to be careful. You're going to be in people's living rooms as this guy, possibly for a while. And I was like, oh, wow. mom, that's so stupid. Forget. No one's going to confuse me for the character. So she meant be careful, like in your personal life, people will treat you a certain way or just that there would be a misconception that that is maybe who I am. Yeah. And, you know, I've been called Ari in airports and coffee <laughs> and shops. You talk and, about your act too. Yeah. And. You know, it, it's it, it, at first it was offensive simply because, you know, we're 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 just different people. Yeah. And I, I you don't want to be mistaken for another person's life when it's not your own. Yeah. And also someone who you don't necessarily align with sort mm. of morally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's been a very interesting journey. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that's been fascinating and it's all part of it. You know, I, I can't take a dive and I can't phone it in and I won't. Yeah. Um, and before I played Ari Gold, I probably played 40 best friends in a row where I was playing the schlumpy plus one, you know, and I was that guy. I was typecast as schlumper, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, you play the guy with all the power with four page monologues and you're the go to guy for that. Yeah. Now, when you auditioned for the role, I imagine the process was like a long, arduous process of multiple callbacks. And were they already interested in you? Did you kind of was it one of those things where. Let me show them what they want. They don't know yet, and let me show them. That particular moment was an interesting turning point 
for me because, as I said, I was already well into a career, sure. even though maybe a lot of people didn't know me. But I was 40 movies into it, the lead in many series. And um, they knew me from movies like Old School and Gross Point Blank and Serendipity. PCU. And- PCU and, and, you know, a regular on Ellen and the Larry Sanders show. And and I even played George Costanza on Which is so crazy. I, I, I saw that, but I couldn't play. I mean, I have to rewatch it. That Were was, you ever that heavy? You know, I have a very, I hold my weight in my face. Uh, I kind of look, you know, a couple pounds on me and I just, oh, okay. it's just not pretty. Uh, <laughs> I just hold it all. I just look like a fucking out of work pumpkin head. It's just not, not, nobody wins. But um, yeah, I, you know, Jason Alexander and I were not, you know, I, I just, I kind of entered into that role. I, the, the truth of the matter is I was a regular on the Larry Sanders show. I was walking across the parking lot. Mark Hirschfeld, who, direct, who cast Seinfeld, saw me, said, would you audition to play George Costanza? I said, I'd love to, man. I'm on, you know, I'm on the show called Larry Sanders Show, and I'm a regular. He goes, just come on in. So I didn't have a TV. I was on TV, but didn't have a TV, which is kind of funny. Wow. Um, so I had no reference for, I'd never seen Seinfeld. Wow. So I auditioned based on my conversation with Jason in the parking lot, and got the role and they were like, Oh my God, you must be such a huge fan of the show. And I was like, <laughs> no. yes, I am. Yes, I I'd am. never seen it. Um, and it was great and it was fun. And those guys, which is very interesting because I was so dumb that I had no reference for them. And they all were very, they were just really cool to me. And they were, the yeah. Be- they were the Beatles, but they were just all, you know, fun down to earth, funny, cool guys. And yeah. I just had a great time with them. And what's, cause at that point that show was already pretty iconic, right? When they yeah. had that show with yeah. the show. So that must've been a big jump in your career to have that. You know, as again, I didn't have a TV and I didn't look like myself and no one knew it was me. Oh, wow. So it wasn't like the phone rang. Yeah. <laughs> so know? then Ari, so the Aria um, Gold audition came about just sort of just in the trade, your manager, agent, or was it more the people who knew you and it's like, oh, this no. guy might be right. No, there was no, I see, it's one of the things that I've learned recently, by the way, um, is that, and no regrets, but. I did. I never schmoozed, mm. and I, I I thought it would be enough to be as prepared as you possibly could be. Mm-hmm. Come in and do the best job you can, and then get out. Yeah, I thought that was enough. And you know what? Looking back, it wasn't because there's a lot of people, and we don't want to name any names, who are just really good at connecting with people mm-hmm. and making other people feel like. They're best friends. Yeah. And we don't want to name any names. I would just, comedically, I just want to go on a string of names, <laughs> but I can't do it. Um, but no, they're, they're, they're great at doing it. And I just was never great at it. Because you were a theater actor. That was never the game in the theater world, you know? Well, but also, I don't, I don't want to fuck up. And I, I just want to do the best job I can. So I'm not going to be, you know, trying to impress the crew and, you know, and I, I and usually I would just have massive amounts of dialogue. So I'm usually just in the corner on my hands and knees, just running it, running it, running yeah. it, running. So that by the time I hit the stage, you know, you just want to be as prepared as possible, and you, because you just want to do the best job possible. Anyway, so now. You know, you, the reason I got off on this is because you said that you know them. I didn't know. I knew Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Um, and we were, we, we, we were acquaintances, um, and it was loosely based on his life. Um, but you know, I think they knew me from 
uh, Doug Allen had seen Gross Point Blank, mm-hmm. and he had seen you know some of the stuff I did, and and um, but they'd never met me, um, and but you know Ari was my agent, and I really had a a real sense specifically that. One of the things I talked about when I met with him, I was like, I love this character because he has this amazing duality where you think he's a pig, but he's monogamous. Yeah. Um, he's looking at every woman and he can't even can't even focus. And that was one of the fun things about the character. He would say things like, I'm totally focused on you 1000% of the time as he's, you know, checking yeah, out yeah. other situations. The reality is he loved his wife more than anything would do anything for her was monogamous. So that duality... You know, and that and, made and the character. Really. I yeah. think it did. And then I also Perry Reeves is a friend of mine and I and she was so brilliant in it. And I just said to her, wouldn't it be funny if you wore the pants in our very first scene? Um, I'm supposed to grab the keys from her and say there's a cab stand. And then I said, I, I said, the, I don't remember what the street name was, but I added in Yucca just because it's a you know it's it's a funny line so i just screamed yucca there's a cab stand at yucca and gra- and grab it's supposed to grab the keys from her and i said why don't you not let me grab the keys or you grab them from me and then you wear the pants and walk off and i have to just kind of follow you because i'm all bark and no bite yeah and there there you know our and our, that defined the relationship for the rest of the series it did and she was great enough to crush it and they were nice enough to allow me to yeah. to uh, collaborate. So when getting the role, you just it was one of the things you went in, you just prepared your ass off. When you did the audition, I guess the final screen test, did you feel like, oh, this is mine? I didn't do a screen test. Um, oh, wow, the moon, yeah, it's crazy. crazy. Um, this was one of those moments where, you know, I was, you have to understand, this was one scene in a pilot Okay. Oh, wow. This is not the lead of anything. So the pilot this, is only one scene with Ari Gold. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Okay. At Koi. Um, with E. And uh, so it was a tiny role and I was lucky enough to be doing leads and producing TV shows. And my agent at the time said, you, why would you want to take a step backwards? And I go, because it's HBO. Um, so you have freedom of language. Mm-hmm. The pedigree of shows around it, Sopranos, Sex and yeah. City, you're, you were in great company. I know Mark and he is fascinating and charismatic and his crew is insane and funny and yeah. Ari is is a, is a character that if if we really mine that it's it's very fertile comedically and um was your agent Ari Manuel telling you not to play Ari No, no different agent. That would be funny. <laughs> um I had switched to another agent at the time and they said, "Look, you know, the reality is it's not a lot of money and it wasn't. It's about, you know, 10, 20% of your fee. Um, and it's a small role. And, you know, there are just times when you look at something and, and you know, kind of, this is one of the many contradictions of me and the Ari Gold character. It's not about the money. And so I just knew, okay, let me just, there's something here. And if we can work really hard, and throw ourselves into it. People are fascinated by the backstage life mm-hmm. of Hollywood. And I knew that it was a very, it's just a great premise and there's something there. And if I, if I just, you know, you put your ego aside, you know, you're gonna be billed last. You're not gonna make any money. You're not gonna have a trailer. Just forget about all that stuff and yeah. do the work. And you know, it paid off. Yeah. And was it originally a recurring role? 
It was a recurring role, but it was a quote-unquote fringe player, as they said. Mm. It's a fringe player. It's not one of the main guys. Wow. It's one scene. And, you know, but but then again, my entire life I've only had one scene. Yeah. So I came to the game knowing, okay, well, this is part of my background. You have to take these scraps and make a meal out yeah. of it. And When was the moment where you realized as you were doing it? Because... I mean, in all honesty, I think there, if you look at the past 20 years of television, there's probably like 10 iconic roles where people will use the name of the character as like a verb or an adjective. Like, oh, he comes in like Kramer or, oh, you're getting all Dexter on me. And I would say Ari Gold is one of them. Maybe Walter White, Ari Gold, Dexter, Kramer. There's like four or five others that are sort of, it's a really iconic role. Where was the moment while you're doing it where you said, where you thought, Oh wait, this is something. This is going to be something. This is special, or this um, is. Well, I don't. There was never. It, it was at a time when everything was transitioning. Yeah. I remember the first season. Um, there wasn't really TiVo, so it was like <laughs> we everyone had to gather around the TV. The first season, it was just like we, it was really fun. With you know, people were like started words started getting out. Let's go to your house and check it out. And so you'd watch it in groups. And so there, you know, wasn't even social media or any of that stuff. Yeah. So I didn't really know the popularity of it, which is almost, it's better. Um, was the first season a, a huge hit right away or did it build? It built, it built. And, and the breakthrough moment was episode seven of season one where uh, <clears throat> Busey and the Beach, it's called, Gary Busey. And I go... I, I pull up to Malibu and there's this tracking shot all the way through the house. This would be the part where if this was people were watching this, where you would cut to this scene. But anyway, so I, <laughs> I finally get to Josh Weinstein and I deliver this massive monologue to him and I drink his drink and throw it down and crush him and walk out because he's trying to steal my client. And um, it was one of those moments where it was the first time that they really let the character fly. Wow. And, and, and I knew that that was a nice breakthrough moment for the character. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool. Um, so as far as the rest of it and thinking about it as an iconic character, my job was just every single take, every scene, just to, to dig in and just and go as hard as I possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that. At the same time, you win three Emmys in a row, which has only been done by the great Brian Cranston, right? So at that point, we were, I mean, that's, that's something sort of so big and beyond you and weird. And, and Hollywood at that point is probably so all over you. What did that look like being in a place where you're like, okay, I'm in this rarefied air. The other actors, you know, aren't getting the same acclaim, which whatever that means. But is there, did it make you go, um, was it just one of those things like, I'm just grateful or for you like, I got to find a way to make this work for me uh, wh what is the mentality there because i imagine that that's very very few people in the world will have experienced that well you have to understand like i was never the popular vote so i w had never been you know on stage was nominated for stuff i'd never won anything yeah and um i'm physically i'm not any type i'm not any age i'm this weird nebulous like you don't know what age i am are you like, jewish are you italian it, am, I, am you? I good looking am i i'm not ugly but not brad pitt what you know what what is you know, there's never been a breakdown where it's like that's me ever you know <laughs> yeah. what i mean i'm just this weird nebulous form that has to create my own lane yeah and that's you know that's people should just know that that's okay yeah. and you can create your own lane 
and 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 have fun with it. Um, so for me, you know, it was just very emotional when you hear your name get called. It's like being shot out of a cannon, and you're like, and you get up there, and it's just very surreal. Um, and I thought about my father because he passed away before before I, you got the, yeah before I yeah. started before I started doing Entourage and. You know, he was my acting teacher and, and a brilliant actor, director, teacher, and a force. And, you know, people are like, well, isn't it sad that he didn't get a chance to see it? And it's not about that. I got to see him. Yeah. You know, I got to see all of his Because his legacy stuff. lives on in you and that yeah, character. That's that's very true. And, and I hope we don't start sobbing and, and <laughs> summoning the power of Oprah right now. <laughs> yeah. Um but dude, man, I think that's I think it's incredible. I know the last you won three in your and then you were nominated one more time, and you didn't win. How did that feel? Was that just one of those things like I can't win four? You know, I'm I, I didn't think I'd ever win. So um, you're like the guy who won Parasite. <laughs> what? what the fuck? I thought I was gonna be drinking now. What oh my god, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, do you see Joaquin's speech? I did. Really cool. I thought it was I thought it was incredibly eloquent. And then contradict that with uh, Renee Zellweger's whatever the fuck she said afterwards. I was like, Jesus Christ. But um yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. It's also, you know, I'm also kind of on the fence about millionaires lecturing average Americans about how to live their no, life. But, but, you know. but yeah, but the thing about Joaquim is he's always been like that. Yeah. That's true. And that's who he is. He wasn't trying to be pretentious. He quoted his brother by saying Run to the rescue with love and peace will follow. Run to the rescue with love and peace will follow. He said, and I'm just using his own words. I'm not, yeah. he said uh, he was a rascal and he was hard to work with and he was given a second chance. And I think what he was saying is, you know, we all need to be good to each other and, mm -hmm. and, and come from a place of love and respect. And forgiveness is a powerful thing, especially in our community right now. Yeah. And I just thought it was really cool that he said that because he yeah. was honoring what needs to be happening in his journey. And, Absolutely. And, and it was, you know, you know, performances. That was not a performance. He was, he was, you know, he's a very shy guy and yeah. you could feel it. And he was speaking his truth. And I just thought it was incredibly powerful. I do too. And I love the fact that when people started applauding, he was like, stop, stop. Right. Let me say this. I got a limited amount of time. I want yeah. to, I have some say, I don't want the fucking accolades i don't want to do like not a shit on brad pitt but his his joke about 45 seconds that uh that john bolton didn't have you know it's like okay you get your little applause break up front with a little jab but you could tell he was just like yeah but brad pitt this. had a had a really great speech it was just so cool because you think of brad pitt and it's just like you know he doesn't even seem real yeah you know you feel like if you cut him he wouldn't bleed he's just <laughs> too good looking right and everything's perfect and then you you hear him say you know his parents brought him out here and they took him to butch butch kansas sundance kid and ridley scott gave him a shot and you know uh it, it just and he meant it and he was grateful and it was cool and there was a lot of a lot of great moments and yet no host you know because yeah. i just think it's a gig no one will take right now yeah no one will I mean, I think uh, wasn't Kevin Hart the last person who's offered it, and then yeah, that thing went his. Then what oh, Chris Rock says, like, yeah, there's no host because of Twitter. That's kind of true. Yeah. If you had to do a speech right now, like if if you won an award for something, what do you think you'd say? Like, do you Ooh, have that's a, You got some good questions, man. This, this is, is cool, talking, man. You're I know. I no, no. What I'm saying is, I like. I'm I'm being honest. <laughs> These are really great questions. Um, 
that's a great that's a great question. I you know I guess one of the reasons I admired Joaquin's speech so much was that it was about, um, especially with you know guys like Kobe dying, like a, a guy who who overcame all these obstacles and um, no matter what injury he had, he would overcome them and no one worked harder and put 20 straight years into the Lakers and now could actually like spend time with his family. And and he looked like he was just loving the role of dad. He really loving it. And then, and to have him ripped away with his daughter, um, it just doesn't seem real, you know? And I think it just hammered home how finite all of our existences are. Yeah. And that, you know, it's, like Joaquim said, to come from a place of love, no matter what you're looking for, um, only good can come from it. Yeah. And we're at a place right now where we feel like if we maybe take someone down, it'll create some space for us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or or maybe that we'll get a little momentum on our own. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and that's the short game. It's going to come back to bite you in the ass. Yeah. And there's a, no, another person's success will never take away from your own. And we're all in this together. And, you know, yeah, I, I, for, forgiveness is a, is a powerful thing. And I, I really do think that that, not to get too um, ethereal, but I think that his words have an energy and vibration. I think people heard it, whether they, you do? yeah, I do. And I know that, you know, he, listen, he's, he's been a vegan and an animal activist, you know, right. It's for a while. And so he was speaking to that in his speech and people, yeah. you know, people can take their shots at him and, and whatever, but he was making a lot of sense. And he really was. Yeah. And he I've never thought of species, speciesism before, but now I'm kind of like, well, I can kind of get behind it. You know, a little bit. I'm more getting behind it than I used to. I probably ten uh, years ago, I'd be like, "Fuck that guy and his vegan bullshit." Well, I'm like, listen, oh. I, I finally cut out meat, and all I know is that I wake up. I used to wake up feeling groggy. I didn't know what was happening. Now I wake up and I have clarity. Yeah. And you know, it's just everyone's blood type is different in constitution. We're going all over the map right now, by the yeah. way. And I have to be on stage in a few minutes. Okay. And I'm in my bare feet. <laughs> well, um, okay, so, cool. um, well, let's wrap this puppy up, man. Um, but but you're really good at this, by the way. Jeremy, I just think you're a fascinating guy and you're so fucking talented. I've, I've watched so many of your movies and I will say this absolutely like I, I, every time I see you, you, you stand out. I remember very big things or little. Very bad things. Very yeah. bad things. Yeah. I remember you and that. I just remember you blew me away in that fucking role. Thank you. And then I that was saw great. And, and, the great Pete Berg. So it's always, is there anything that you would say to like young actors I'm not a young actor but any actors kind of coming up I mean you kind of spoke to a little bit anything that you'd say to kind of people that you think are, are don't, don't ever be afraid to ask questions you're never going to look like an idiot and if someone thinks you're an idiot who cares there's nothing better than being curious yeah Kobe Bryant I remember asked me he said he said man when I watch that when I watch Entourage and you're angry it looks so real how do you do that and I said when you take a shot with the clock running down and there are millions of people watching you and you drain that three how do you do that yeah and he just kind of looked at me and he just was taking it all in he goes oh man i get it i get it and you know it's a cliche but you know hard work and 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 being curious and um never be afraid if you're afraid of how you look yeah and if you're afraid of looking foolish then you might not want to go into the creative arts yeah. because 
once you get past that and are and just you're just okay making a fool of yourself, you're gonna you're gonna fly. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing, man. So let's end it with uh, what do you what do you have coming up? Do you have anything that you looking forward to? Any, any sort of I don't want to say five year, ten year plan, but is there something that you're kind of like like how about you for an Oscar? Is that a dream of yours? Is that something that you look at, or is that something you just like? No, I'm just doing the work. I have one thousand percent doing the work. Um, I'm putting this movie together that uh, I just got back from London and I thought, you know, I was going to be so rusty getting, I immediately got right back up on stage. And, you know, the cool thing about this journey for me is, you know, going back and forth between acting and, and stand up is if you keep at both of them, you won't get rusty at either. Yeah. I went back and did this movie and I never felt better. I felt like I, I probably gave my best performance just now playing a grieving father who, whose kid keeps setting him up with these women and it's never the right match. And it's about love and forgiveness and grief and it's funny and tragic and all these different things. And I just had such a great time and um, feel like I was working on a level that I've never worked before. And wow. so just, just to be working and, and, and grateful and, and, and just getting better and trying to get better at stand up, which is what I'm doing almost every night, you know, um, and then documenting it yeah. and, and continuing to to get after it. And also, you know, um, I'm 216 years old, so I think <laughs> it's time to have a family for the love of God. And my mom is just, even in her old age, is finally becoming the Jewish mother she, I knew she would become, you well, know, going to settle down. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, so that, that would be a great thing. But as I say on stage, you know, people all want to know why I'm still single. And I tell them that I've been married to my work and then my work decided to see other people. <laughs> and, you know, as you know, there's a lot of truth in everything you say on stage. Sure, of course. Of course. The, the more, you know, what was the phrase that Bong's, what is his name? He said, Scorsese phrase. He said, the more personal the work is, is the most creative work. And that applies to stand more than anything else, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, man, for Thank you, Jeremy, man. This. It's so good to finally do this. You're the uh, best, dude. Do you think it worked? It worked. It was okay. great. So uh, <laughs> thanks, guys. Signing off from the Afterlife. Bye-bye. It's the after left, after left. Welcome to the after left, after left, after left. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs>